This is episode 298 with the host of the Morning Shakeout podcast, running coach, and a master's runner who just ran 234 at the Boston Marathon, Mario Fraioli. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald. And the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and I'm excited today because I'm also the author of the new performance training journal now available on Amazon. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. And if you enjoy this podcast, support our sponsors who help support the show. Elemental Labs makes my favorite electrolytes, high sodium, zero sugar, absolutely delicious flavors that are perfect for when the weather is starting to get warmer and your sweat rate increases. Prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. And they're offering you a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strength running. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so you can try them all out before committing. And what makes them unique is the 1,000 milligrams of sodium that's in each serving. Perfect if you're a heavy sweater or you know that you have very salty sweat. It's also great for training in very hot or humid conditions where you're going to be losing a lot of electrolytes. Go to drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift today. We're also brought to you by our very own Performance Training Journal, which is now available on Amazon and as of this recording, is the number five new release in the running category. When Des Linden holds three spots ahead of you, I think we're doing okay. (laughs) This hard copy training journal helps you focus on the training metrics that matter, while ignoring those that don't. It prioritizes a long-term outlook so you don't take any shortcuts, and it maintains your motivation with strategic self-praise. See all the details on Amazon. Just search for the Performance Training Journal by Jason Fitzgerald. Okay, my guest today is a friend and a former competitor, Mario Fraioli. Mario is one of the most competitive Masters runners that I know, having just run the Boston Marathon in 234 and just a few months ago, an indoor mile in 430. Mario is also the host of the Morning Shakeout podcast and writes the incredibly popular newsletter of the same name. You can sign up for that at themorningshakeout.com. In this episode, we're answering a listener question. Mike is a runner who's curious about combining a fast road marathon and a hilly 50-mile ultramarathon into one training season. Is this a good idea? How would you approach your marathon training if you know you're going to be racing a 50-miler only two months later? How can you maximize post-marathon recovery while also getting ready for the training needed for the ultra? Mario and I discuss all these topics, plus strength training, nutrition and fueling, sequencing, and the psychological hurdles that this project entails. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Mario Fraioli. 
All right, we're live with Mario Freoli. Welcome back to the pod, Mario. Great to be back. It's been, uh, what, like five years, I think, since my first appearance on the show? It's been maybe a little bit more than that. You were one of my first guests way back in 2016 at the beginning of the podcast, but I think I had you on maybe in 2020 or 2021 to do some, uh, to talk about longer training weeks, like 10-day right, cycles. I remember that now. Yep. Interesting aspects of training that I always think you have good perspectives on. And we're continuing that trend today. We're talking about really long training cycles and whether or not we should be combining two very different races in in one actual training cycle. And I think you're a really good person for this topic because of not only your running background, but the type of athlete you coach. So maybe we can start just by reading this interesting question that I got in my inbox. And, and this is from a runner named Mike. So first, Mike, thank you for your question. I appreciate it. And he wants to know if there's a best approach for combining both a road marathon training cycle and an ultra trail training cycle, assuming that the trail ultra marathon is about 50 miles. Mm -hmm. Now, Mike wants the have your cake and eat it too outcome of having <laughs> both races be goal races. And he wants to know if he can just do like one six month training cycle for the year and have two races maybe separated by about uh, a month or two. So we could probably come at this in a lot of different angles, Mario. Uh, and I think, you know, we could probably sit here and wax poetic for 90 minutes about the ins and outs of, of the approach here. But maybe we can just start super general and just get your overall thoughts at the beginning. And, and then we can dive into more detail. Yeah. I mean, this is a not uncommon, but somewhat unique, I think, scenario that that we're thinking about here. And I, I agree with you. I think there are any number of directions that we could go with this, but I think we, you know, kind of limited it to the scope that he sort of like drew out here. Um, they are two very different events. I mean, I, I've always said like, you know, uh, racing a road marathon and, you know, racing most ultra distances are like two completely different sports in a lot of ways. They resemble one another. Um, I think there are a lot of elements from a training standpoint that both share, but depending on uh, the ultra event specifically, I mean, it could be anything from like, you know, a fast 50 miler on the roads or even on the trails to something that's incredibly mountainous, right? So, you know, you think about the marathon, right? Someone's going to race a marathon, even if they race a hilly one like New York versus say a flat one like Chicago, um, there's probably going to be a, a few minute difference between those two, you know, say like a 3.30, maybe at the faster one in Chicago, 3.35, in New York. I mean, it's, it's very minor, uh, in terms of the difference you can go to a 50 mile ultra. And if it's a, a runnable course, even on the trails versus something that's a little more mountainous, I mean, we're talking like hours. I mean, they're just like two completely different events with two completely, um, different sets of demand. So I think for the purpose of this conversation, like thinking about it as like a, you know, trying to race a marathon, like go for a, a specific time and a performance that you're proud of. And then maybe, you know, a month to a month and a half later, um, tackling a 50 mile, let's call it, you know, just for, for sake of argument, I don't think he got this specific in the email, but a runnable 50 miler versus something that is a little more mountainous would require poles, hiking, that sort of thing. So that sounds fair. So actually the specific context of this question is 
is actually he wants to do the Eugene Marathon on April 30th, which is two days from when we're from recording. This. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to do a 50 mile trail race at the end of June, which is roughly two months later. But the the ultra marathon is fairly mountainous. I mean, it has 7,600 feet of elevation gain, 10,600 feet of elevation loss. And it is at 4,000 feet altitude, which mm-hmm. isn't substantial, but it's also not nothing. Yep. So it's a little bit more challenging than I would say a very runnable ultramarathon course, but it certainly does uh, include a fair amount of elevation loss overall. Okay. Um, I think this is good framing then um, for the the context of answering this question. The first thing I'll say is um, from a sequencing perspective, the way that I would like to approach it is attack the marathon first and then tackle the ultra later. And there, there are a couple different reasons for that. Number one, um, training for a marathon, you're going to build up a very high level of fitness if you're able to stay healthy for those 12 or 16 weeks ahead of time. And if you're chasing a time, you're going to do a lot of specific work at or around, you know, that goal pace that you want to hit for the marathon. So, you know, you're doing faster interval workouts throughout the training cycle. You're doing a lot of like tempo running, a lot of steady state running, um, a lot of rhythm work on the road. You're going to get really, really fit doing that. And, you know, aside from that helping you achieve whatever your marathon goal is for the race, in this case, Eugene, it's also just going to give you this awesome foundation to kind of build off of beyond that, right? And and two months after the marathon for 50 mile, I think that's good spacing. That's better than four weeks. I always think in a scenario like this, having a little bit more time is better just because one, it, it will allow you to really recover from that road marathon, which if you're going quite hard, as we both know, takes a lot out of you, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, and, and otherwise, but then still gives you enough time to switch gears, like literally and figuratively from a training standpoint to address some of the specific demands of this, you know, ultra race that is in your future. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I have this philosophy that I love to see runners focus on shorter races before they go tackle really long races. And you know, this is almost like a very microscopic version of that philosophy. Like we're doing the shorter, faster race first, and then we'll transition to the longer race. Now, as some additional context, Mike, the runner who asked us this question, is a very competitive athlete. He's hoping to run 245 in the Eugene Marathon in a couple days. So he is is a pretty good athlete. Um, My other question, Mario, would be, you know, if this athlete is going to do something like this and they have this eight week period after their marathon, what does recovery from the marathon look like? Because I think, I think one of the things I'm struggling with, with this question is, is it really one big cycle? If you take time off after the marathon for recovery, or are you basically giving yourself two cycles, but calling it one normal cycle and then one very short cycle? How how do you think about that? Yeah, that that's an interesting question. Um, I would think of it as one long cycle because you have two kind of like cornerstones that you're trying to frame your training around. But, you know, part of that is you have to account for that, you know, that that big thing in the middle, that marathon or, or a little past the middle um, because it is just such a big effort. Um, 
And I think if you don't really prioritize the recovery from that, you're not going to be able to get as much out of your training those next like six to eight weeks leading into the 50 miler um, as if versus like if you were to, you know, just kind of get right into things, you know, right away, because you're just going to be carrying around a very high level of fatigue. So, I mean, I think you can think of it as one big cycle, but as part of that cycle, especially with enough foresight, you know, you build in that recovery period where you're like, okay, like for this like seven to 10 day period after the marathon, we're going to focus on recovery. And that's going to look a little different for everyone. Right. But I think in a case like this, someone who is a more advanced runner, I mean, you're, you're going 245. you, you, you kind of know what you're doing. I would think in, in that type of scenario, you have some experience, um, you know, you're obviously able to handle the training for this pretty well. And if you're pretty fit, you're going to recover, you know, generally like pretty quickly as well, you know, afterwards. So, I mean, maybe that's a couple days off and, you know, just some easy jogs for seven to 10 days, you know, nothing that resembles training, but it's more of like an active, you know, recovery. You're not going to lose fitness during that time, but you are really just going to allow, you know, the, you know, the toll that that marathon took on you to kind of work its way out, you know, just the damage on your body from a musculoskeletal perspective, you know, you can allow those, those tears time to heal, you know, bone time to heal from that kind of like stress, any other issues that may have popped up along the way. Um, But you're not going to really lose an appreciable amount of fitness in such a short period of time. And then, you know, when you, when you come transitioning out of that, I don't think the buildup back into training has to be quite as long because you're sitting on top of this foundation that's, you know, if you've done, you know, call it 12 weeks of of solid training leading into that marathon, it's going to be pretty rock solid at that point. Yeah. I want to throw a wrinkle into this conversation as I like to do here on the podcast. Go for it. So I was about a 245 marathoner when I was racing marathons. You know, my PR was 239. I ran 244 at New York, 245 at Boston, didn't have a great race. I always really struggled with marathon recovery. And so to hear you say, oh, this caliber runner is going to bounce back a little bit more quickly. I always felt wrecked after all of my marathons. And I just think that because of who I am personally, my body just doesn't respond well to 26 plus miles of running pretty hard on asphalt. What would you say to the runner who might still want to do this, but might be a little bit more injury prone? It might need a little bit of extra, you know, recovery in that post marathon time. Yeah. Well, I think regardless of how quickly you typically bounce back, I mean, the things that I would pay attention to leading into it are, you know, making sure that you are a fairly well-rounded athlete and this is in the marathon training. So beyond just the you know, the tempo runs and the long runs and the intervals that you're doing for the marathon, like you're, you're getting in the gym pretty regularly and your strength training. And you're just like really like fortifying that frame. Um, so that like physically you're strong because the stronger that you are, the better you're going to come out of something like this. So I think that's one huge aspect of it. And, you know, I've found for ultra running, certainly when you get up to that 50 mile distance and beyond, um, yes, fitness is important, especially if you're trying to be competitive, but like overall athleticism and strength, um, really can carry you a long way, um, you know, over, over those types of distances. So that's one thing that I would address, like in the lead up to the marathon is making sure you're strong because you will recover faster and be less injury prone coming out of it. The other side of it, um, and we've seen this a lot, uh, certainly in recent years, as there have been like, you know, advances in this kind of technology, and I'm not talking about shoes just yet, but is nutrition, right? So it's like the better that you can fuel 
in your training leading up to that marathon. And then certainly during those harder workouts and during the race itself, the better you're going to come out of that race. I mean, I've seen it myself anecdotally as an N of one, but also with a lot of the athletes that I've coached, like there's a very strong, you know, correlation between those who have been able to fuel well, like in their day-to-day life, but certainly in those bigger, longer efforts that require that, um, in your ability to recover afterward. I mean, if you're, if you're running a marathon on a pretty low tank and you're burning on fumes by the end, it's going to take you a long time to recover afterward. I mean, there's just so much more damage to your body. So, you know, I think it's really making sure that you've nailed that piece of it too, because that is also just going to help set you up for success, you know, coming out of that marathon and improve the recovery. So, you know, beyond those things, you know, if you still just need a little bit more time, um, you know, you don't want to get back to running quite as, quite as quickly, you know, you can implement some cross training in there, right. Where you can still get in some aerobic work. Um, but you're still giving, you know, your body, especially your musculoskeletal system, a chance to really recover and rebound to the level that you need it to be, um, before you can start resuming training. And the other thing, like, I think unique to, um, an event like this, right. And, and again, not knowing too much about the specifics of, of this particular ultra. Um, but I mean, a lot of ultras certainly versus, versus road marathons, um, you want to run as much of it as you can, but there's also a lot of other skills that you need to develop that are, um, important, but also just like from an impact standpoint, lower stress on the body. And and one of those things is just hiking and time on your feet, right? So if you're not ready to start running yet and getting back into workouts within, you know, call it like two to three weeks after the marathon, um, you know, before you really start to ramp up that running mileage, you know, get out on the trails, you know, if that's where your race is going to be, um, and practice hiking, you know, um, if you're doing that on especially hilly terrain, it's going to be a lot easier, um, on your body, but you're also working on a specific skill that you are very likely going to need in a, you know, call it hilly or mountainous 50 mile ultra, um, such as the one described in this conversation. I love that Mario, because it's like, you're, you're hastening the recovery process by getting in some of these hikes, but you're also training for the ultra. And so you're almost killing two birds with one stone here. And I think that's, that's a really good approach. The other thing that I'd love to add is I think a good amount of reduction in intensity is important in those first couple weeks after the marathon. So, you know, you outlined this seven to 10 day period where you're not running and then you're just doing some short, easy runs. And then that ramp up back to, you know, a somewhat normal training load doesn't have to be as long as it may have been in the past because you're sitting on all that fitness. Yeah. I think it would probably be a good idea, not just for the recovery process and making sure that you stay healthy, but also just because it's not as important for this kind of a race to really dial back some of the, you know, the faster workouts, maybe even some of the tempo runs, at least in the first couple of weeks so that you're not, you know, introducing all this intensity that's going to interfere with the recovery process. Cause it is helpful to remember too, that Recovering from a marathon takes like three or four weeks. It's not just, you know, what's happening to your muscles, your skeletal system, or your joint tissues. It's also your endocrine system and your hormone levels. And we really need to get under the hood. Yep. Everything under the hood. And so I I think it's really important to, to start introducing volume first before we start introducing too much intensity. Yeah, you beat me to it. I mean, that's exactly where I was going next. And just to go back to what I was saying at the beginning of this conversation, this is why from like a a sequencing standpoint, I like the idea of doing the marathon first 
and the ultra, you know, call it a month or two months or however long afterward, because, you know, the, the nature of that ultra event, um, it does not require the same kind of intensity or certainly the same amount of intensity um, as you would have in your marathon training schedule. And the specificity looks different too, right? Like for a marathon, um, you're very dialed in on your pace, right? So, you know, you're looking at all of your key workouts and they're in some relation to marathon pace, right? It's like you're running at, you know, marathon pace, or you're running, you know, 10 to 15 seconds faster per mile than marathon pace, 30 seconds per mile faster than marathon pace. Like that's very intense stuff. Um, in a, in a mountainous trail ultra like that, I mean, the, the pace is out the window. You're not looking at pace at, at all. Um, you know, and the, especially those higher end intense efforts, like those VO two max type workouts, even that like critical velocity, you know, type of work, while you should still do some of that, uh, it's not nearly as, you know, important. And even like those tempo runs and steady state runs, um, they're going to be more effort based in the lead up to an ultra. Um, and you know, they're not going to be quite as intense, um, as they were during the marathon training cycle as well. So I think that's a very good point that you bring up. And that that's where I was going to go next. Um, just from an intensity standpoint, it's like, it's, it's going to look different than it did, um, during the marathon and you shouldn't feel a rush to get back to doing those same exact types of workouts. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to faster workouts and, and introducing those, especially after a marathon, you know, a couple of weeks after a marathon as a coach, I'm super nervous. I'm always like, let's just make sure you stay healthy. We're sort of in this weird zone of time where an injury is much more likely to occur if we push the envelope a little bit too much. So we probably shouldn't play too hard with marathon recovery and really respect it. Let's talk a little bit about strength training. Now you did say strength training during your marathon prep is not only going to help you in the marathon, it's going to help you with your recovery post-marathon. Would you continue strength training right after the marathon? Like, how would you reintroduce strength training right after you race the marathon? Like after that first couple days off? Uh, and then should it look very different than what you were doing for your marathon prep? Yeah. So right after the marathon, um, even if it goes well, even if you are strong and you feel well, you're still going to be beat up to, to some degree. Uh, I mean, speaking for myself, having just run Boston a little over a week ago, I mean, I felt that, you know, acute muscular soreness that Boston injects into your quads for a good, like, you know, four days afterwards. So, you know, the thought of, you know, even just like touching them or getting on a foam roller, um, was very, you know, unappealing. And I certainly didn't want to like load up with any kind of weight at that point, because I, I could tell there was damage there and that was going to be, you know, counteractive to what I was, I was trying to achieve, but like what I did do and what I advise the first step for, for my athletes coming out of a race like that, especially if there's something else, um, you know, relatively soon around the corner is like mobility. Um, you know, so, you know, you're, if you're doing strength training really well, you know, yes, you're increasing load and, you know, you're getting stronger, but you're also hopefully working on moving well, you know, especially if you're, if you're putting up, you know, quite a bit of, of weight. So after the marathon, like I would focus on that, just like the movement side of things, you know, and doing some body weight stuff, whether it's squats, whether it's lunges, um, single leg deadlifts, like that sort of thing. Cause I think that's actually going to help to, you know, speed along that recovery process, but you're also not loading yourself up, right. And causing additional muscular damage that's going to, you know, take you even longer to, to recover from. Um, but I would say like, you know, within probably 10 to 14 days of, of the marathon, like you can start to 
increase the weight a little bit. Um, I wouldn't go super heavy, you know, right away, but it's just like easing back into training, like start a little bit lighter than you think you should test things out, see how you respond to it. And then over time, like gradually start increasing that load, you know? So in, in a situation like this, where there's about eight weeks between, you know, those, those races, I think kind of in the middle accounting for like, say a two week post-marathon recovery and a roughly like two week taper leading into the 50 mile, just to make it kind of easy math, you could still get in like four, four to five weeks of like pretty solid strength training along with your running training, you know, in the middle there. And, um, I don't know that it has to look much different from what you did during, you know, the meat of your marathon training cycle. Um, I think if it was working for you, I would try to get back to that level. Um, you know, not necessarily try to like PR, but I think if you can just be consistent with that type of work that you're doing, um, you're really just going to reinforce those gains that you already made. Um, because during that period, you know, you're, you're also not, you're not really focused on necessarily trying to get stronger. You're really trying to maintain because you have this other event that that's right around the corner. You know, that's not the time to be, you know, trying to improve your strength. You're really just trying to like, you know, fortify that, that, you know, that frame that you have. Um, and also just trying to like maintain those gains that you made, you know, in the lead up so that they can benefit you in the ultra. Yeah. I like this emphasis over maintaining your strength over building your strength, because I think you're exactly right. Like this time in between these two races is not a time for you to be pulling your personal best off the floor in a deadlift. Like, I don't think your body is really ready for that. And, and part of the reduction in intensity right after the marathon and and in the next couple of weeks is not doing anything too fast, but also just not lifting too much weight. You know, I think a heavy lift is very similar to a short, fast rep on the track. And and those are the things we should really be staying away from from, uh, at this time. And also just this emphasis over consistency over intensity. You know, we're not gonna be looking for heavy weight, but we do wanna get back into strength training, even at a body weight level, right from the beginning. And I think it's helpful for recovery and getting some of that athleticism back. You know, I think anyone who's run a marathon knows that in the next couple of days, you know, you feel like you've aged 40 years (laughs) and, you know, you do not feel like you're ready to go run this mountainous 50 miler. We need to regain some of our our youth, our our range of motion and, and how good we feel and how good we move. And I think the body weight stuff is a perfect introduction to that. Um. You mentioned this a little bit before, and I'd love to to explore this more, but knowing that you are going to be recovering and then training for a 50-mile ultra after your marathon, should you be doing anything different in your marathon training to sort of, you know, not just prepare you for the marathon, but almost prepare you for this extra training cycle that's coming next? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the short answer is is yes. And this is like for me, from a coaching standpoint, um, there's a creativity element involved. So I, I love that. Um, anything that gets me to like think outside the box, it's like, okay, you know, how can we make sure that, you know, you're as fit as you want to be for this marathon so that you can give your goal a good go, but also, you know, not be like way behind the eight ball coming out of it leading into this, you know, 50 mile ultra. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, there are certain elements of marathon training that you have to prioritize for, you know, performance's sake. And that's like, you know, working at or around marathon pace to get that rhythm down, you know, building, you know, that engine up um, so that it can do, you know, that type of, of training, you know, in order to do that, 
you know, especially if you're going like Eugene Marathon's pretty flat. It's a place a lot of people go to run a fast time. Like most of your key workouts are probably going to be, should be, you know, on, you know, maybe the track for interval sessions, but, you know, on a gently rolling road at the, at the most um, so that you can work on that rhythm, you know, so that you can internalize like what that goal pace and effort um, feels like. And, you know, from the sounds of it, there, there aren't many elements of that in this 50 mile ultra, um, you know, that fitness is going to come in handy, but it's not a direct translation. But I mean, you know, you're only doing those key marathon sessions and interval workouts, you know, two, three times a week max, right? So if you're running consistently and you're running a good amount of volume, there's a lot of other space to fill in there. Um, and not every long run, especially for the marathon is going to be, at least in my opinion, is going to be like super crazy hard at, at around marathon pace. You should have, you know, some time on feet, long runs interspersed in there. And I think that's, um, or those are great opportunities to you know, especially for a trail ultra, get on the trails, uh, if you have access to them where you live. Um, you know, so if you're doing a long run, that is just, you know, call it, uh, 20 miles, but you know, there are no specific pace instructions in there, you know, get on a, you know, get on a trail, you know, and, and something with some elevation change to it. Um, you know, one, you're just gonna, you know, you're going to get stronger from doing that anyway. Um, you know, and you're doing enough of the other type of work that you're not really going to compromise that, but you know, you're also going to, you know, just, put some of those pieces in place that you're going to need to build off of coming out of the marathon, you know, when you're spending more time on the trails and doing, you know, workouts and long runs that are specific to that 50 mile ultra that you're, you're training for. So I think it's, it's being, you know, intentional about doing some of your, your long runs, you know, on, on the trail, not worrying about pace, um, just getting that time in on your feet. Um, but also some of your recovery runs as well. You know, I think, um, as long as you're able to keep, you know, the, the effort at an appropriate level so that you're actually, you know, recovering, um, you know, that's, I actually think that's going to help enhance your marathon training, right? I think a lot of marathoners do too much work on the road and, and that beats up your body. If you look at a lot of pro marathoners who have like no desire to maybe ever do an ultra, I mean, they do a lot of their key workouts on the track, on the road, but they're doing a lot of, you know, their other running like on softer surfaces, you know, maybe not quite the elevation change, um, that, you know, you would want to get in if you're prepping for a 50 mile ultra, but, you know, just, just having that kind of variety, not being on the road all the time is, is a good thing for marathoners anyway, but it's especially a good thing if you're going to be transitioning to doing more trail running, you know, after this, um, after this marathon. So, you know, that's another way to just kind of make sure that you're putting the right pieces in place, um, so that you're not totally starting from scratch, um, coming out of this marathon. So I think those are just some elements that, you know, you can really build in that aren't really going to take away from your marathon training, but are going to set you up quite well for that 50 mile ultra coming out of it. You know, I'm always amused by runners who ask me if they're allowed to run on trails when they're <laughs> training for a road race. Yes, and you have permission. <laughs> it cracks me up because, you know, even if you are a road marathoner and that's your only interest, I think you're going to be a better road marathoner if you spend some time on the trails. Yeah. Uh, certainly not all of your key sessions, but, you know, the the benefits of trail running are fairly profound in in my view. And it, it certainly is you know, one of those elements, like you were saying, um, I think some other things that might be helpful, you know, we mentioned before strength training, I think being as consistent as possible, really working on strength. And that's something you don't get as much of with only body weight exercises. So actually trying to lift some weight and get become a stronger athlete, that's certainly going to help you beyond the marathon as you prepare for that 50 mile race. Um, 
I think it also would be helpful to do some hill workouts. I would love to get your opinion on this. Even for a flat and fast road marathon, I've just been, I've I've become even more of a proponent of hill workouts over the years. I, I think they carry over to ultra marathons, to track events, to road races, to flat races, to hilly races. You just become a faster, stronger, more powerful athlete with hill workouts. And that is going to be beneficial for you, no matter what race that you're training for. Uh, Certainly not the bulk of your speed workouts or the type of workouts that you're doing, but I think getting in some types of hill workouts somewhat occasionally is going to be helpful for that 50 miler. Uh, And then finally, I think maybe experimenting with what I'll call an over distance long run, you know, maybe going a little bit beyond 20 miles. And I think specifically for this athlete that asked us this question, because he's a 245 marathoner. So if he goes out for a 22, maybe 23 mile long run, it's not going to take three and a half hours. It's not going to take so long that his recovery is going to be seriously compromised for the next key session that he has. And again, it's going to help his marathon. It's also going to better prepare him for that 50 miler. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. And I mean, you know, a a key element there, uh, and I think it applies to this case is, is experience, right? I mean, if you're trying to do something like this for the first time and your goal is just to finish, I I think we're talking about this in, in a different way, but if you're trying to race the marathon and then want to be competitive at a 50 mile, uh, trail race, you know, two months later, you know, you have to be a little more intentional and specific about, you know, how you're, how you're structuring things. And for someone, you know, who, who is this good of a runner and, you know, has this much experience, um, I think they're positioned well to handle like an over distance run like that. I mean, you know, there are, you know, you shouldn't always copy what the pros do, but, you know, you have a lot of pro marathoners who, you know, aside from, just their level of competency and speed, um, are just experienced runners. And like when they're looking at new elements to include in their program, many of them will do like an over distance run. You know, some of them will actually run like longer than the marathon distance in training. I remember, you know, Shalane Flanagan, when she was at the height of her career, I mean, it was not uncommon for her to do a 28 mile long run, um, you know, and go beyond the marathon distance, um, often on, you know, often on dirt roads, you know, I don't think she's getting on single track trails. Uh, you know, it's probably a little too much risk there for someone of that level, but you know, they're doing over distance type runs, but for someone like this, um, you know, they could probably get away with that again, not knowing this person specifically in their training history, but you know, if they've shown they can handle that amount of work, I might have them do that once or twice, you know, in the build up to the marathon. Cause again, that's another piece that they're just kind of putting in place that they can build off of, you know, once the marathon is behind them. Um, and to hill work, I mean, yes, to everything that, that you said. And I mean, for me, like thinking about just a, a marathon cycle on its own. I mean, the way that I like to operate over the course of call it 12 weeks is go from like, you know, least specific to most specific. Um, and you know, early on in a training cycle or before that 12 week training cycle, when we're just still like, you know, kind of laying that foundation of fitness, uh, before we like officially start marathon training, we'll do a lot of hill work, you know, a lot of hill repeats, you know, anywhere from like 30 seconds to three minutes. If people have access to that, um, it builds great strength. It's not very hard on the body. Um, because you're, you know, you're fighting gravity the entire time. Um, but it's like that, that really, you know, just, 
just helps so much from like a, a fitness standpoint. But as we move through the marathon cycle, um, yeah, we're not going to do those hill sessions with quite the regularity that we were beforehand. Um, you know, even for a hilly marathon, like running up and down a hill, you know, for two minutes, 10 times, it's not very specific to what you are going to, uh, face in, in many marathons. Um, but you know, you can still do maintenance stuff like uphill strides, you know, every so often, uh, or if you have access, um, to a place where you can do, you know, call it like an uphill tempo run, right. Where you're, you know, running at, at maybe slower than the pace that you would run on the flat, but, you know, maybe at the same effort level, same heart rate, you know, that type of thing. Um, that's great for marathon training, but you know, if you are going to do something like a 50 mile ultra afterward, it's like, that's a, again, like a good piece to just, you know, kind of work on before you, uh, transition to that very specific type of training. I think one of the themes that I'm I'm picking up on from this conversation is that getting as strong and as aerobically fit as possible while you're marathon training is going to be advantageous for you in the marathon and then in your efforts at the 50 mile race afterward. Yeah. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, how do you build this aerobic fitness? Well, high mileage is going to be good for you. These over distance long runs are going to be helpful. We talked a lot about steady running, rhythm running, tempo runs, those kinds of things. And then on the strength side, you know, we've talked about consistent strength training, but also hills. So there's interestingly in a number of avenues to accomplish these goals. And would you say that it's beneficial to focus on numerous avenues or should we pick a lane and stick to that? Um, I've never been a fan of of sticking uh, of picking a lane and sticking to it, um, just because there are any number of things that you know will come into that lane and are going to force you to go, you know, in in another direction anyway. So I think you've got to be nimble and you know just kind of open to doing things a little bit differently. And I think you know in a case like this, like this is a pretty unique circumstance, right? I don't think there are a ton of people who are going to go like race a hard marathon and then within a couple months later, you know, go try and be competitive at a, you know, at a 50 mile. So, you know, in a situation like that, like you've got to experiment, you know, and sort of see what works for you, um, in that, you know, in that type of scenario. I mean, as you were talking about that, one thing I, I thought of too, um, which I think could help frame a lot of this even better, like, you know, if we were to isolate just a 50 mile, you know, trail race, um, and take the marathon, you know, out of the, the equation. So we're going to train 12 to 16 weeks for this 50 mile, which I've, I've, helped a lot of people to do. And I've coached a number of people to, you know, very fast marathons as well. I mean, where I've kind of landed is, you know, the training for that, that 50 mile race, if you're trying to like really kind of just like race it and be competitive, whatever that means for you, like you're not just trying to finish, um, you know, that training doesn't look that much different from marathon training, um, from like, a an emphasis standpoint, what does look different is the specificity, right? So for like a marathon, you know, early on in a cycle, we're going to do maybe a little more VO two max work, a little more like critical velocity work, you know, and touch tempo and steady state every once in a while. And as we move through the program, like the emphasis is going to shift, right? We'll do less of that higher end stuff, the VO two max, you know, critical velocity stuff. We'll touch it every once in a while, but you know, we're doing increasing amounts of like tempo threshold running steady state, you know, type of work. Cause that's, what's most specific to, you know, the, the event. Um, as I move through a training cycle for a 50 mile, that doesn't really change all that much. Um, you know, what changes is we're not as focused on pace, you know, we're focused on perceived effort mostly. Um, and then also the environment's different, right? So instead of doing like, 
you know, in early in a marathon build, we might do like repeat K's at, you know, 5k, 10k type of type of effort. Um, you know, early on in a 50 mile training cycle, we're, we're doing like three to four minute reps at the same type of effort, probably uphill if it's going to be, you know, like a mountainous race like this, uh, because it's a little bit more specific. And as we move through, you know, we're doing, you know, still like tempo steady state type of running, but it's not so focused on a pace. It's more of, you know, of like an effort. Um, and then from a volume standpoint, you know, things don't look that much differently. I think the 50 mile training, because we are going to build in just some longer long runs in there. I mean, and maybe that's a 50 K tune up race, uh, which, you know, say, saying that, uh, just still sounds crazy. Like 50 K tune up. I, I've got a funny story about that, which I could, I could tell in a minute if you want. Um, but you know, by the nature of the event, it's like, obviously for a 50 mile race, like, you know, you've got to be comfortable running the marathon distance. You're going to do that in training. You should be able to comfortably complete a 50 K, you know, training run leading up to a 50 mile, you know, race. But, you know, you also don't have to go like quite as close to that race distance. Right. So in a marathon, right. For, for most experienced runners, we, we might get up to like 20, 22 miles for at the high end for most people, you know, super experienced people, as we talked about, might do an over distance run once they've got years of experience for a 50 mile race. It's like, you know, I'm not going to send someone out for a 40 to 45 mile long run on a weekend. <laughs> um, more often than not, it's like the, you know, it's like there are, there, there are diminishing returns after a certain point, but it's like, you got to be able to do like probably 50 K, you know, pretty comfortably. And then just, you, you know, rely on that cumulative, um, fitness to like kind of carry you through. But, you know, as far as like intensity goes and how we structure it and, you know, how we move through a training cycle, it's, it's really not that much different, but we are, you know, manipulating the environment and we are like, you know, paying more attention to, you know, effort than we are like exactitude with a pace, that type of thing. You've teased a funny story and you know, I love funny <laughs> stories. So let's hear it. Yeah. So you and I come from very similar backgrounds, ran in high school, college, you know, racing on the track, 5k cross country in high school, 8k, 10k in college. Well, you were D3. So you guys stuck at 8k. Uh, I don't think you were doing 10k yet, but you know what I mean? Like shorter, you know, shorter stuff. Um, and for me, it was a big deal to move up from those things to the marathon within a few years of graduating from college. Uh, and I still, to this day, like to me, the marathon is a, a very long distance. And in 2014, when I moved to the Bay area and became, you know, entrenched in this, you know, just incredible, like trail and ultra running community. Um, I ran my first 50 K within three months of moving here. I got peer pressured into it and I was out on a training run with a bunch of guys who came into the sport from a completely different, um, way than I did. They started racing, like th their entryway to the sport was racing ultras. You know, their first race was like a, you know, 50 K, uh, and then they did 50 mile and, you know, these are guys who, who would do like hundred milers annually, sometimes a couple of them annually. And we're out on a training run and I'm with Brett rivers who now lives out your way in Colorado, but is the, you know, the, the founder of San Francisco running company, which is the hub of the community here. And, um, we're both running the same 50 K, uh, in March of 2014. And I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, that last, like going eight K, like another eight K just really, that's messing with my mind. Like, it just feels like so long. And, you know, he just says to me, he's like, oh, it's, it's no big deal, man. He's like, these 50 Ks, they're just speed work for summer hundreds. Um, and he <laughs> said it with a straight face. And I was like, man, we're coming at this from two completely different 
uh, completely different angles. But, you know, <laughs> I think that just kind of, you know, to hammer the point home that I was making a little while ago, like, you know, if you are going to do that longer stuff, you kind of, you kind of have to shift your perspective to the point where you're like, yeah, for 50 mile, like a 50 K training run is no big deal. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We were very similar in our upbringing and, and sort of like the way in which we relate to the sport just because of our history with track and cross country for eight years straight. And you're right. The marathon to me is a very long event and (laughs) 50 K, uh, speed workout for a a hundred miler is just insane. Um, now Mario, I want to, you know, the guy who asked this question, Mike, he is self-reported fast recovery times and very low incident of running injuries. Now, I know we talked about prevention and all that, but is there anything that you would do differently for a different type of runner? The runner who maybe doesn't recover very fast after a marathon or or any race, you know, they self-report low recovery and the runner who might be more injury prone than Mike. Like, does our advice change much for this athlete? Um, We touched on this a little bit earlier. I'd probably slow their return to running um, a bit versus someone like Mike who bounces back quite a bit quicker and doesn't have high instances of, of injury. But what I, what I wouldn't do in a unique scenario like this, where there is something like, you know, relatively right around the corner, you know, six, eight weeks away after their marathon is give them like a huge chunk of time, like off, off. Um, I'd try to keep them active, but I wouldn't have them do quite as much running. So I'd have them get in the pool. I'd have them get on the bike. I'd have them get on the elliptical, you know, maybe on the, on the rower, like just something to kind of keep them engaged. Um, because one, I think that is actually going to help their recovery, especially if we're not too intense about it. Um, but it's also going to help them feel like they're still working toward this thing, right? Like that. It's like, oh, I'm not just taking this huge chunk of time off. And then I've got to like, you know, scrape myself off the floor to get training again. It's like, you've never, you've never really stopped. Like you're doing this stuff that is going to help just like prolong your recovery, help keep the instances of injury low and just feel purposeful, um, you know, at the same time. You know, I'm kind of thinking like a physical therapist now is is what you're doing here with this strategy. Are you sort of maintaining a certain amount of load on the tissue so that there isn't a dramatic spike in load later on when you start running again? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely part of it too. Um, you know, we, we want to try and make that transition back to running as smooth as possible. And it's a lot smoother when you go about it that way versus when you like stop dead for, you know, even a week. Right. And then try to get right back to it. Um, this is just going to help to, you know, just like not totally take the load off of like the musculoskeletal system and the, and the tissue. Um, and it's just going to make that return to running and training like less of a dramatic shift. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's a big part of it. Um, but then also like from an aerobic standpoint, like we know that if, you know, if you take a, a week completely off, you're not going to lose a ton of fitness, but you're going to lose some. Right. Um, and the idea is not to like completely maintain it, but it's also just to like keep everything engaged. I mean, I think that's the word I keep coming back to. It's just like, it's like to keep you know, just everything from like your mind to, you know, your cardiovascular system to your musculoskeletal system, all of that, like engaged, um, but at a, you know, at a reduced rate so that you can still, you know, recover. Um, and then as you, cause there is going to be a ramp up, there has to be back to, 
you know, a normal training load. It's just less of a dramatic shift because that's when people get hurt. You know, in my experience, people get hurt is, is when they go from like, you know, zero to zero to 60, even zero to 30, you know, type of thing. So I'd rather, you know, I'd rather come from like, you know, you know, just using 60 as a, uh, a metaphor here, it's like 60 down to 40, down to 30, down to 20. It's like, all right, let's just stay at like 20 for a while, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, and like gradually kind of ramp up that way. But we never, you know, we never hit zero um, completely. I mean, sure, we'll take rest days. You know, that's part of the, I think that's just part of the process, but never these like huge chunks of time where you're just not doing anything at all. Yeah, for sure. Now you did mention the mind and you talked about how it's important to stay mentally engaged and, and just sort of reminding yourself that you have this extra, you know, separate goal coming up. We haven't talked about the psychology of this whole big project. And, and I have to admit, the first time Mike emailed me with this question, one of my first, I, don't, I wouldn't say a fear, but my, one of my first uh, things that I was concerned about was this is a really long time to be on for training and to be approaching goals that you really care about. You know, this reminds me of, you know, the, the college cross country experience where for about six months, you know, June through maybe November or so you're training and you're focused on cross country. And for six months, you are thinking about that regional meet getting to nationals. Like it is so intense from a psychological perspective. And I don't know about you, but every November I was ready for the cross country season to be over. And the one time that I, I did a track race off of my cross country fitness and extended my season by like two weeks it was a disaster. I just didn't want to be there. All I wanted was to not run, sit on the couch for a little while and, and just sort of detrain myself a bit also psychologically so that I could be ready for indoor track later. What are some of the, the mental problems that we might run into with this kind of a training schedule? I mean, what you just described is a big one uh, and is something that you know, I work with not just my ultra athletes, but all of my athletes on is just building in breaks. Um, so you, you had asked me a question earlier in this conversation about, would you think of this as like two separate training cycles or, you know, one big training cycle, um, since it's all lumped together. And like, I think about it as one big, you know, training cycle, but there has to be that break in there. And, you know, I think the, the marathon is a very natural place to take a break. Um, you know, certainly physically for all the things that we just discussed, but also mentally as well, you know, to, to come down from the race itself, like racing a marathon, especially when you're gunning for a time is, is a really intense experience. It takes a tremendous amount of focus. I mean, I'm just as, you know, cognitively and emotionally drained after the race as I, as I am physically. And that's just from the day itself, but it's also that focus for the 12 to 16 weeks leading up to it. Um, and in, in my experience, you need to build in a recovery period afterward. Um, and again, it's going to be a little bit different for everyone, but you know, I'd say like it's one to three weeks, um, you know, where you can just flip that switch off and, and not think of yourself as necessarily in, in training mode, but also again, in a unique situation like this, like not completely letting yourself go either, because you have this other thing that's around the corner that if you're, if you're not on your toes, it's going to swallow you whole. Right. So, um, you know, I, 
I think that's another reason why this like period of, you know, recovery, detraining, whatever you want to call it after the marathon is, is super important. It's just so you can mentally, you know, recharge your batteries as well. I mean, I, I found, I, I'd be curious to get your take on this working with a number of athletes. Um, I found like 12 to 16 weeks leading up to like a big event, um, something like a, a marathon or an ultra where you're not, I, I mean, most people aren't going to do like another one the next weekend, you know, versus like a 5k or a 10k. Um, like 12 to 16 weeks is about the longest that most people can stay that engaged before like they, they need a break. And it's, and, and I find it's more of like a mental break, uh, or as much of a mental break as it is a physical one from all of that, all of that work and just all of that intense focus. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably 16 weeks might be the ideal length of time to train for a longer race, like say a marathon for most runners. You know, I think if you're very competitive and you just maintain a very good base level of fitness, maybe you only need a formal 12 week training cycle leading up to the marathon. Uh, see, it's interesting because I, I write a lot of custom training plans for clients and I cap them at 20 weeks. I just won't go over 20 weeks. I'll make an exception every once in a while based on whatever's happening in that specific circumstance. But I've just found that after 20 weeks, and, and especially a 20-week cycle that that isn't so intense, you know, like a 20-week 5K program is probably just going to be too much. But a 20-week marathon plan for a beginner marathon, I think, is sometimes needed just to gradually build up volume and distance in a safe way. But you're absolutely right that it takes a certain cognitive toll on your body and mind to, to just be on, to always be thinking about your training, executing on your training. And if you're not going to get injured training for that long, you're certainly going to get mentally burned out or fried from all of that. So I am glad that we're talking about the psychological recovery that's so important after a marathon, because it's not just how good your muscles feel. And, you know, you might want to go for a run two days later, but three weeks from then you might be struggling with motivation. And it's because you didn't really let your mind recover after that marathon. And you know, the last thing I'll add here is I think your note about sequencing is really helpful for the psychological recovery of, of this athlete in this example, because, you know, like you said, we're not really going to be focused too much on pace, exact splits, that kind of thing. And instead, when we're getting ready for this 50 mile ultra, we're going to be focused a little bit more on perceived effort, maybe time on feet. We're going to be adding in some hiking on these trails and I think that's easier on the mind than it is marathon training. When you are worried about a level of specificity that can be a bit mentally burdensome. hundred percent. I mean, and an example that I'll, I'll give, I've coached a, a number of marathoners who just got completely burned out on the marathon and everything that goes into it, chasing those splits, hitting the weekly mileage. Um, it takes, you know, it takes a toll, especially if you get to a point where, you know, you've plateaued and you feel like you're beating your head against the wall to take another like minute or two, you know, off of your time. And, and oftentimes, um, a lot of those athletes come to me and they're like, I want to try something new. I think I want to run trails or get into to ultras. And, and it's not so much the challenge of, how much longer can I go? Sometimes it, it's that, or that's part of it. A lot of times it's like, I want to get away from the exactitude of, of marathon training, you know, hitting those exact splits, um, you know, 
being on it all the time uh, because, you know, it is a, the ultra mentality is a bit different. I mean, you can still be intense about it and you can still train very, very hard. You still need to focus. Um, but it's, I mean, it's hard to describe. I think you have to experience it for yourself, but it's definitely a different, you know, shift. I mean, you know, you you can be a little more, you know, with the marathon training, you're like, all right, I've got to go, I'm going to do this specific loop because it, you know, it mimics the course I'm going to train, or I've got to go to the track, you know, to make sure that I can hit my Ks in this amount of time. You know, ultra running is a little more exploratory. You're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go out for like two hours, you know, on, uh, on this trail and not worry about if that's, you know, 10 miles or 12 miles or 16 miles, um, that type of thing. And, and I find coming out of a marathon cycle, especially in a unique uh, situation like this, that's almost a like a welcome relief or a breath of fresh air, really, like coming out because, um, you know, it's one thing to be so dialed in like you are for a marathon, even take a short break and then get that dialed in again. Whereas like you can be that dialed in, take a short break, and then you're kind of like you know, not completely shifting your perspective, but definitely like just shifting the mindset, you know, in terms of how you approach your training, how you approach your workouts um, and how you approach what you want to get out of it. Mario, let me ask you a personal question because I, I know we come from a very similar background with track and cross country. And, and I think that's made us think a little bit more maybe methodically about training and splits and, and pacing and all that. Do you struggle with shifting your mindset to perceived effort, time on feet, exploratory, like you said, because I know I do. Like if I'm ever training for a trail race or, you know, the one time I trained for an ultra and then failed miserably, that's, that's a whole separate <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but, you know, do you struggle with that? Because I, even I do, I'll go into the mountains at 9,000 feet altitude and run crazy elevation gain trails. And I'll be mad that I didn't average under eight minute mile pace. And I'll be like, dude, you got to chill out. You are way too type A and it's not working in your favor. Um, the short answer for me is, is no, not anymore. I think initially I struggled with it a little bit, but I eventually came to embrace it because it was just such a shift from what I had done for the rest of my competitive athletic career. And I, I probably needed it at the time. Um, and, and making that shift and thinking in that way for a period, I, I focused primarily on ultras from like beginning of 2014 through the end of 2017 before, you know, getting back into focusing on the marathon a little more intently. And I think that period of mostly focusing on trails and, and ultras and being less tied to splits and, um, that sort of thing, really was just, again, like a breath of fresh air for me. Um, and I, you know, I physically got stronger. I mean, I, I was just like, I don't know, I was excited to go back to the marathon after that. And and now I'm at a point where I haven't done an ultra in quite a few years, but I run trails all the time. Uh, and some of them with like a lot of elevation and, you know, I oftentimes don't look at my watch, uh, when, I when I'm running. And I actually think that's helped me, you know, in training for some of those traditional, distances. I mean, I've raced everything from the mile to the marathon over the past year. And, you know, when I'm out on my, my easy runs, I'm not paying attention to the watch at all. You know, I'm just making sure I'm keeping it real easy. I'll get on the trails. You know, I kind of embrace that like trail running ultra mindset. But when I get on the track, especially if I'm training for something like the mile, like, yeah, I'm going to be super dialed and be like, all right, I'm trying to run, you know, 33 second, two hundreds here. Cause that's my race pace, um, that type of thing. Um, so I found for me, like having, a balance of, of both has actually been just like, you know, the best of best of both worlds. And like, ultimately I think like what keeps things interesting for me, um, on the whole. 
Well, you're inspiring me to let go of some of my type A tendencies to to set the watch, to time a day, and just go enjoy those trails because they're so beautiful around here and I just need to not let them stress me out so much. <laughs> yeah. And, and don't let the watch take away from like that beauty around you. And I mean, I'm in a, a similar boat here where, you know, where I live, I'm fortunate to live north of San Francisco and Marin County, and we have some amazing trails around us. And I think if I were beat myself up for running, you know, a 12 minute mile uphill, uh, I'm missing out on, you know, just the beautiful landscape around me and like being grateful for being in that environment. So it's been a huge shift for me. I mean, you know, whether it's you or anyone listening is go look at my Strava. I mean, you'll see most of my, most of my runs are, I mean, I do a lot of runs between like eight and 10 minutes a mile, you know, running with my dog and running with my wife or running on trails like I did, you know, this morning. Um, and those are, you know, those are the easy, enjoyable runs, but you know, there's, there's those days in there too, especially when I'm gearing up for like a marathon or a mile where it's like, yeah, I'm on it, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very focused and dialed on, on what I'm doing. And I've just found like, that's a healthy balance for me, especially at this point of my life. I think like I, I could get away with being like more type A about it. Um, in my, my younger years, as I've gotten older, you know, I value, you know, I still want to be competitive and performance is still important, but I value different things too. You know, just like the, the social, like I ran with my buddy, Nick this morning, like just the social aspect of it doesn't matter what pace we're running. I just want to, you know, spend time in great places with people. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, have that balance and that, and that's what I like about, you know, uh, someone like this, uh, Mike, who sent you this email, like he's clearly got you know, a wide range of interests, you know, he wants to be competitive in the marathon, but also challenge himself with a, you know, a 50 miler. And, you know, those sometimes can be kind of competing interests, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, on the whole, it can be like really beneficial to just not be like so dialed into like one thing. I mean, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I coach a lot of like pure ultra runners and, you know, I, I try to sell them on, doing some road races and cross country, uh, and like, you know, getting to be a little more like exact and type a, you know, about their workouts, because if you really want to perform and, and get better, like you have to have some of that. Right. So it, it's, it's ultimately a balance between the two. Yeah. I would love to have a conversation with you at some point talking about the evolution of the ultra marathon sport. Cause I think it is very different than road racing or the track and how, ultra marathoners are just getting so fast now. And, and I wonder if that's making them more, more dialed into their training, more exact with their splits and all that. It's probably a conversation for another day. That'd but, be an awesome conversation. I'd love to have it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, th I think our, our subject of this podcast, Mike is in a really good position because I think so too. He's actually doing a lot of the things that we discussed. You know, he mentioned in his email that, um, he's a relatively high mileage guy. He has a low incident of running injuries and he's, he's planning to approach the training in, in a really smart way. Like, so for example, he said he's doing a lot of his long runs on trails, even as he's getting ready for the Eugene marathon coming up. So, uh, I think he's in a good position. Have we missed anything that you want to touch on before we wrap for today? I feel like we've given Mike a good idea of, how to prepare for the marathon with an eye towards the 50 miler, how to think about recovery post-marathon, and then the prep specifically for the 50 miler. I think the only thing we haven't touched on, and we can if we have the time, is the fueling aspect of it. Um, you know, there's some crossover between the two, but, 
you know, fueling for, you know, a race that's going to take you, you know, more than twice as long as the previous race that you're, you're training for is going to look, you know, a little bit different too. And, and can be tricky, I think, when you're trying to, in some ways, like train for both of those things, you know, simultaneously, um, you know, the marathon, you're, you know, you're on the gas the entire way. Um, you know, you're going to be relying very heavily on carbohydrate for fuel, uh, or you should be, if you're racing at that level and making sure that, you know, you're on a schedule where, you know, you're taking in calories and carbohydrates and fluid, you know, every 20 to 30 minutes or so. Um, in, in an ultra marathon, you're not burning quite as hot. Right. And, you know, given the, nature of this course that he's running with a lot of elevation change, you know, there's just, there's just times of the race when you're going to be like moving pretty well and fairly quick. And there's going to be other times too, where you're, you know, hiking, you know, and and kind of moving uphill or, you know, stopping at an aid station. So it's, you're just not on the gas, like quite as, you know, intensely. So your fueling needs are going to be different Uh, and you're out there longer too. So you have to have more options, I think, uh, in case like something's not working as well. So that's something to, I think on those longer trail runs, um, that aren't marathon specific, it's like, you know, making sure on those days too, you're thinking about fueling a little bit differently than you are when you're doing a marathon specific, you know, type of workout, because I think fueling, whether, whether it's for the marathon and or an ultra, I mean, that's a challenging thing for a lot of runners, um, just on its own, but, you know, certainly in a case like this, where, you know, you've got to fuel a little bit differently for one versus the other, that's something you also have to practice in the preparation. Now, does this mean taking in some solid fuel as you're getting ready for the marathon instead of just practicing with gels or something like a gel? Well, for the marathon, because the intensity is so high, it's it's hard to take in solid food. I mean, the the most solid food I've ever heard of anyone really taking in during a, a marathon, if you're really racing it, is like is like a chew type of thing. Um, you know, chew or a gel, or they're getting their calories and carbohydrates through. Um, a fluid source, you know, a bottle of, of some sort, whether they grab it from someone on the course or they carry it with them. Um, you know, you're not going to take a bar right <laughs> during a, during a marathon, or at least most, most I people I know aren't going to take a bar during a marathon. It's <laughs> not going to go down well, um, when you're running that fast, but during an ultra, um, you know, you, you can experiment with other foods, you know, um, some things that are a little bit more solid. It could be a bar, but it could be like peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? It could be rice balls. Um, you know, with egg whites in them or, or something like that. Um, you know, because the intensity is just not quite as high, um, the, the stress on, you know, your stomach to digest that isn't, you know, as demanding either. Right. So you can, you, you can, in theory, like have a, you have more options at your disposal. And like what I, what I typically advise people is like early on in an ultra, when, you know, you're, you haven't exerted yourself too much and it's easier to take stuff down. That's when you really want to try and get those calories, like more solid calories down. Um, right. Cause as you get deeper into the ultra, you know, your stomach may start to go South. The day gets hotter. Um, you know, any number of things that, that happen late into a long race like that. Um, there's just going to be things that are less appealing. You know, it's going to be harder to, to get down a solid piece of food. You know, you might have to rely on liquids a little bit more, or you might have to, you know, you might have to switch to gels or chews and, you know, in that standpoint, but those are things that you need to kind of practice in the lead up to, to these things to know like what works for you in different situations. Yeah. And I think my question wasn't super clear. I, I think I was more asking when you're training for the marathon and you're not doing a marathon specific long run, okay, would it be helpful to start training your gut with some solid food earlier, even in your marathon cycle? Or do you think that can just wait until you're prepping for the 50 miler? 
No, I think for those non-specific long runs, that's that's when you want to be practicing that stuff. Okay. Um, you know, because because again, like you know, much like the training elements that we discussed, like that, that's just like a piece that you're going to want to put in place that like once the marathon's behind you, you're going to want to build off of, and you're going to be practicing that a little bit more, you know, frequently. Um, but, you know, I don't think you want to go into that not knowing, you know, how you're going to feel after taking down some solid food early in a, in a long run. I mean, you should have some idea because you've done that in training in the, in the lead up, but I would, I would save, you know, that type of strategy for those like non-marathon specific long runs on the trails when you're just going for time on feet and, you know, aren't so concerned about hitting, you know, an exact pace. All right. I think Mike has a lot of things to think about. He's probably going to listen to this after Eugene. And so he'll be able to use this to properly recover and train for that 50 miler. I think there's some really great stuff in here, Mario. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Super fun to talk about this stuff. Of course. And, um, where, where can people go and, and learn more about what you do? I know you've got the Morning Shakeout podcast, the Morning Shakeout newsletter, both amazing media for any running nerd who wants to go deep on the sport. Is there any anywhere else you want to direct people? Now, the newsletter is the best place. I mean, everything goes in there first. I don't have any personal social media, but this newsletter, The Morning Shakeout, comes out every Tuesday. You can subscribe to it at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. I put training tips in there, workouts of the week. When I have a new podcast, um, I announce it in there. So that's kind of your one-stop shop for everything that I'm doing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mario. And there will be links to that in the show notes on the Strength Running site. Mario, thank you again. Thanks, Jason. And there we have it. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or club, or you can invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com coaching. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast and tell them they should continue sponsoring this show. First, let's hook yourself up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. And this does not have to be your first purchase. You're going to get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Personally, watermelon is my all-time favorite flavor. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, artificial ingredients, or colors. I'm now in the habit of giving away boxes of Element at group runs around Denver and Boulder, and everyone loves this stuff. It can also be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration when you're running long or doing a very difficult workout. If you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness, especially after a challenging training session, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency that needs addressing. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Plus, I admittedly like to have some Element if I've had a few adult beverages and I want my morning to feel a little smoother. Check them out at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning, and you'll get your free sample pack gift with your purchase and you'll be able to get your hydration optimized for the spring and summer seasons. Finally, don't miss the Performance Training Journal, now available on Amazon. You know, since I started running back in 1998, I've always kept a hard copy training journal. Being able to hold a tangible log, writing in it daily, 
and reflecting on the ups and downs of running is a surefire way to improve. You'll learn to focus on the training metrics that matter, prioritize optimism in your running, focus on long-term progress, and reflect on what's actually helping you to improve. It has a no-frills functional design, and the Performance Training Journal includes coaching advice on racing, injury prevention, strength training, and more. It will guide you through race scheduling, how to plan your race morning, the best workouts for endurance runners, and encourage you to track your personal bests over time. Most importantly, you have the space to make this journal your own. Whether you're a new runner or a professional, a trail or road runner, or a mid-distance specialist or an ultra-marathoner. A detailed, performance-oriented training journal is one of the most effective and valuable training tools available. Don't just track your running, learn from it with a performance training journal. Check it out today on Amazon. That's our show, runners. Thank you for subscribing and sharing this show with your friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or picking up the performance training journal for yourself on Amazon. My number one goal is to elevate your running, so don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running site, or you can message me on Instagram at JasonFitz1. We'll talk soon.